Welcome to Tigerpaw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tigerpaw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. And now, here are our hosts, James Foxall and Wes McDonald. So, hey, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Tigerpaw Radio. I'm uh, your host with the most, Wes McDonald, and our other host with the most, uh, James Foxall, is actually preparing for a very important meeting, so he won't be on uh, today's call, but that's okay because we have an exciting guest, which is going to help walk us through what's going on in the channel, uh, what's happening with uh, marketplace and ecosystem, and other terms that you may not be familiar with, but you probably should be. Uh, so one thing I always like to do is start the show with one thing you may not know about me. And uh, for myself, um, one thing I did probably 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago now, I guess, is I took my family on a cross-Canadian journey. So we started in Halifax. Uh, we actually grabbed some water from uh, the ocean in Halifax in a jar. And we spent the next five weeks traveling across the country, ending up in Vancouver and taking some water from uh, the Pacific and mixing it with that of the Atlantic in our jar. And we started off with about two cups full worth of water. And I think now, thanks to evaporation with a good seal, we're down to about two and a half inches. But nonetheless, it was a very cool experience. Uh, so I do like to let my uh, guests introduce themselves. And today's guest is Jay McBain. And Jay, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Jay McBain. I'm the principal analyst for Channels at Forrester. And something that, um, that I do, along with you, is love to travel. And being in the channel, we get to travel quite a bit for work. Uh, but for vacation, I had this goal a few years ago of hitting 100 countries. And so now we're sitting at, I think, about number 93. And um, <clears throat> much of that is with our kids. I've got four daughters, two are in college and two are in preschool. And so, for example, last year, I had a speech in Australia, and we decided to fly the wrong way around the world. <laughs> uh, we, we visited 15 countries through Europe, the Middle East, and uh, Asia on the way to Australia. Almost missed my speech, by the way, because of a flight delay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, flew home uh, across the Pacific. So we ended up did circumnavigated. I think my five-year-old has probably been to 60 different countries. And so we're getting wow. to the point now of... Uh, you know, you get rid of the tier one, you know, green countries, and now you're into the, you know, yellow countries, and you can't go to any of the red countries, but <laughs> with, with only 200 countries in the world, it actually gets tricky once you hit 100. Yeah, so you and I have known each other for, you know, quite a few years, and I really love the work that uh, Forrester does in the research channel, helping people, you know, to get a better understanding of their markets, uh, of the conditions that are at play, you know, for how we're competing, right? And, you know, one of the things, I mean, you know, you talk about being busy, uh, not just with personal travel, but, you know, the stuff that you do to help uh, the world with better information to make better decisions. Um, I read that in 2019, you did 497 meetings with companies to discuss channel strategies, 150 of those you actually did in person, 40 speaking engagements, 129 interviews and articles, and over 54 global channel magazines. And that's amazing. I consider myself pretty busy in the channel and uh, I'm nowhere, you know, near what you're doing. Right. So the channel's yeah. obviously interested in, in your message and, you know, maybe you can tell me what's going to, what you're looking forward to in 2020. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just wrote a, a blog a few weeks ago that uh, went a bit viral on, on 2020. So there's a lot of interest in what's happening to channels, not just by channel people, but by CEOs and, and board members and by business leaders of all types. There's actually a recent survey done by Accenture that 76% of the global CEOs and you know, top board members think that current business models will be unrecognizable in five years. We all hear these stories about, you know, wow. 500 companies from 20 years ago and how over half of them are no longer on the list and they're bankrupt and how today's fortune 500, half of that list will be bankrupt in, in 20 years. And, you know, every company is facing an end of company event in the next few years based on emerging technology and, and changing buyers and demographics and firmographics and, all this flux, but there's several things, you know, several companies are facing end of industry events, which wow. has really never happened. You know, we have technologies today that are shipping that could replace 47% of all jobs of all types. And then when you look at industries, there are technologies like blockchain, which could severely change, you know, industries like finance and insurance. When you swipe your credit card, there's 17 companies that get paid within that 3% transaction cost. That's incredible. Of those 17 companies, other than Visa and MasterCard, you probably don't recognize 15 or 16 of them other than the, you know, the big yachts that they drive in the New York Harbor outside of Wall Street. Huh. So in a world of blockchain, and I'm not even talking Bitcoin, just in the world of blockchain, that could eliminate 16 different companies you know, taking a little bit of a, you know, one eighth of a penny for every time you swipe your credit card. And I have, you know, examples across all 27 industries where the entire industry itself is being disrupted. And um, there, there's just a, a number of things that are happening that makes it such an ex in exciting space right now. Yeah, and, I, and I've certainly seen that in, in my own space as well. So I have obviously in the last uh, year or so, well, probably more than that, because even in my last you know, sort of very focused channel in the office equipment space uh, was reaching out into the managed services side of the world, right? Managed IT and, you know, watching some of these trends and, I, and I'm a numbers guy. I love looking at the, you know, trends uh, on numbers versus, you know, uh, sort of current business reality. And it's been shocking to me uh, looking at some of the trends that are taking place, particularly uh, in both the office equipment space, and the managed IT services space, where a lot of people are really ignoring kind of these trends, which you say, you know, also say uh, could be industry ending, not just business ending, right? So yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, you know, seeing what you're gonna be doing in 2020 as far as opening up that onion and letting people see sort of, you know, what's really going on, right? Yeah, and 76%, so that's, you know, that, that, that same survey, what the number one trigger, the number one reason uh, was ecosystems. That's why business models will become unrecognizable. The entire yeah, that, value chain in front of customers. Yeah, that's a word I want to talk about more. Um, I've actually myself uh, personally, and I know you've been involved with CompTIA as well. And it, it was kind of a resonating, you know, I don't know, vibrating, you know, kind of conversation about this switch from a traditional channel to ecosystem, right? And that the rules and stuff are very different. We'll certainly get to that. Now, one of the other stats that I read about, um, and these are mind boggling numbers, right? So when you look at the B2B spend, you know, through what is known as the marketplace, I want to talk about that a little bit. You say that 17% of that $13 trillion spend 
you know, that people are doing in our space is going to be through marketplace, right? And a lot of that uh, directly with vendors, which really upends, you know, the, the traditional vertical model of the, of the channel, right? So, so the first thing is, why do you think the shift is happening? And then secondly, maybe you could talk a little bit about why providers in the channel uh, should be paying more attention than they are today. Because I think it's kind of one of those things, you know, where there's a lot of heads in the sand, people aren't really paying attention to it. Yeah, if you want to sell magazines, you could put a big front cover that says, you know, the end of resale. And I think magazines have been doing that for decades. Uh, you know, there, I don't think there's any partner or managed service provider, VAR, agent, um, integrator, anyone that's out there today that hasn't read a story about, you know, declining resale and things like that. The drivers behind it really go back to the buyer, really go back to the buying journey and how all of these moving parts are, are affecting them. So, you know, first and foremost, it, it's probably not a surprise to everyone that we're going through our first major demographic shift in the technology industry. You know, many companies, and it's about 38 or 39 years old, if you date it back to August the 12th of 1981, which is the yep. launch of the IBM PC. And I worked at IBM 17 years, so that <laughs> was near and dear to my heart. But, you know, that initial channel, and then multiplied in size by Compaq a few years later, and then multiplied again a few years later by Microsoft, becomes the core channel that we talk about. But now this many years later, if you started your business, you know, when you're a teenager or in your early 20s, you know, this puts you right around time for retirement. And we know that 40%, according to CompTIA, 40% of resellers and, and VARs and MSPs are looking to retire in the next four years by 2024. So that's a demographic shift. But the same thing is happening out at customers. If you look at buyers, if you look at you know, customers that you have today, 75% uh, of them will be millennials you know, within that same time frame. Wow. And so their behavior, the way they grew up, called the Amazon effect, the way technology is bought today, which is in layers, you don't just buy SaaS, you don't just buy Salesforce, for example. Yep. On average, a company will buy six other things. So what's happened is 73% of them actually prefer e-commerce, web direct, or, or a marketplace. Right. In that it's easy, it's 24-7, you can stack the things together, there's recommendation engines in there, there's all kinds of things you can do, but then you can provision it and manage it and, and, and measure it. And it's a level of control that um, this new generation is looking for, rather than sending a provider out to go track down those seven things, sign up to seven different channel programs, figure out how to deliver seven different, I mean, it, it makes things instantaneous and it takes the value of the channel away from the actual transaction, which we've known for years, if not decades, that that is the lowest valued part when we ask customers for somebody yes. actually taking their money. They look to the channel for so many other things the consulting, the, the you know, front-end ass assessments and the influence. They look for the long-term, the implementations, the integrations, the security, the compliance, the business continuity, the, the, the vision, the guidance, all these things, the steady hand, the governance of all of this is what the channel's value is. And now we're into a phase where customers are willing to pay for that, but they actually, in their own minds, delineate that from the actual transaction itself. Yeah, and that's probably a good lead into my next question. And I'll I'll share you know a personal story. 
you know, as far as the marketplace is concerned, I, I'm a huge proponent, right? Um, and it's because I have kids that are, you know, 13 to 20 years old. So people like you and me, uh, we're, you know, essentially uh, digital immigrants, right? That we lived in a time when uh, everything that we're seeing online simply didn't exist. I mean, my first experience with an actual usable uh, computer was in university and I had to actually rent time on it. I, I, I couldn't afford one. I actually had to use it. Whereas my son, you know, he's never known a day without some kind of screen in front of his face and multiple screens, right? Yeah. So, you know, very, very different space. So that dynamic, as you say, as we start to see the shift in, you know, the, the demographics is really, I think, much more powerful than most people, you know, give it credit for. But even as an old timer, you know, I'm, I'm over 50 now. Um, I still take, uh, you know, uh, use of the marketplace uh, where I would have traditionally looked for some expertise. And these are from some pretty large ticket items. So I'm a home theater enthusiast. I, you know, have a 4K projection system, uh, Dolby Atmos, et cetera. When I first started on that journey, I would actually go to um, a store, you know, that was owned by, you know, somebody who was an expert in that space, take their advice, you know, buy their stuff. But I discovered kind of a marketplace to look at the components in the equipment and started finding reviews and all these other things. And I had this, you know, this cavalcade of information coming in and which could help me make a better decision. Now, now that's not saying that I didn't take advantage of those previous connections when it finally came time to say, okay, now I need to integrate this. Now I need to, you know, actually take these pieces and, you know, make them a holistic reality, right? But the, the buying decisions were, you know, very different, right? And that, and that kind of ties into my next thing, which is that I've also, you know, read from you that about 68% of, you know, the buyer's journey is complete before they ever even talk to somebody. And 71% of customers make a vendor selection um, after a digital only journey. And I'm, I'm one of those people for many things that I buy in my life now, right? So the other thing you say related to that is, that it makes the influencer channel strategies important. So, so what do you mean by that? So if people are, you know, kind of making their buying decisions ahead of time and stuff, what is this influencer channel? Yeah, the, the easiest way to explain it, um, you know, to an audience is think back to the last time you bought a car. And 81% of you would have started with a Google search. Uh, that's the average. But after that Google search, you start, you know, watching videos and there's some head-to-head -head reviews and there's some peer groups, there's some magazines and social media. You know, there's all these things that make you really smart. There's 365 brands of car, but going through this, you start to narrow it down, you narrow it down, you get to a short list, but you're on the vendor sites, you're, you know, building the car, configuring it, you know, choosing your colors and your packages. You go and research the invoice price. And there's this magical moment where you step foot on a dealership because they force you to buy that way. And the salesperson has no clue. You are so smart about that car. You know everything about the engine. You know everything. And you know within $100 what you're going to walk out paying. And then they put you through an eight-hour, you know, absolute disaster sitting there as they go and, in air quotes, you know, get you the deal. And you start thinking to yourself, like, I would have paid $100 more. I would have probably paid $1,000 more if they just deliver the car to my driveway and hand me the keys. Let's just, <laughs> let's just take out that phase. And what 80% of technology buyers are telling us today at Forrester is it feels like buying a car. 
it, you know, I've been on the journey. I, I've, I've read everything I can read. I've looked at all the videos. I've talked to all the peers. I've went to all the super connectors. I, I've got all this level of influence that I've got it narrowed down. I've made my decision. And then you put me through this, you know, car sales thing with your yeah. old, you know, procedures and processes and thinking that it still exists. And, and it doesn't. And we're just waiting for the law to change so that, you know, the, the experience can change. And this is happening now in technology. And, you know, it, it's something that we have to take a hard look at in terms of what that early customer journey is, who influences the customer in that part of the journey. And by the way, we know it's five different either people or companies that will influence a buyer. And when you're a vendor, you know, that's what you're your modern or, or new partnership program looks like is starting to invite some of these alliances and affinities and affiliates and advocates and ambassadors and digital influencers and super connectors, all these new kinds of people that in history, you know, you might've just thought of them as bloggers or, you know, podcasters. Yes. Well, today, you know, with 71% of your customers making a decision before you even get to talk to them, in other words, you're going to lose a deal without even knowing there was a deal. These people become really, really important influencers for this new customer journey. And this makes a very big change in the channel for partners that are listening, obviously have to get into the you know, buying journey earlier. And this is content marketing and this is getting in. When you go to your client the next time, you know, go and meet all the line of business leaders who are making 65% of technology decisions today, two thirds of every technology dollars being spent outside of IT, go and meet these people. But more than that, you know, flip through the guest book at the front of your client, if they let you. Um, and there's an 80% chance that the people signing in are talking tech. 81% of accountants are doing tech services. 78% of marketing digital agencies are doing tech services. Wow. I could talk about legal. I could talk about architects. I could basically everybody signing in and your client themselves, everybody outside of IT is now spending 51% of their time on tech. Yeah. So everyone is a tech buyer and every company that's a services company is now a tech services company. So you're in a world now that you have to build your own partner program. You have to figure out who the local accountants are and who the local digital agencies are and all these ISVs, there's 175,000 software companies today and who the emerging tech companies are and the system integrators. And there's all these people that surround you that you know, aren't competitors to yours because you have different skills and, and different offerings, but are definitely partners of yours to get you into more conversations and to get you into you know, better margin, larger opportunities than where you may be at today. Yeah, and it's really fascinating that, you know, when you talk about this influencer, you know, channel, I think when most people think about influencers, they think about, you know, Instagram, right? So, you know, some people that are, you know, kind of pushing products and everything else, and, and they fail to realize that trickle-down effect in our own space. And, I, and I'm old enough to realize that, you know, when I was involved with the sales cycle, I, I actually did manage print assessments for, you know, probably the better part of six years. And the, the first thing I would do to your point was when I'd meet the quote unquote decision makers say, okay, I get it, but there's a bunch of other people in the organization that are going to have a part of this because it's not like it used to be. It's not like you were kind of the sole person that's going to make this decision because now everyone's got a little piece of 
you know, what makes that happen, right? So we've got influencers that are uh, involved at the company level that we're trying to work with, as well as, you know, to your point, all of that research that is done before they even talk to the company. So looking for those reviews, looking for uh, people that are posting videos, looking for people that are, you know, kind of, you know, if it's in a forum or a community or some other place, if it's at CompTIA, if it's elsewhere, right? There's, a, there's this whole nuanced layer of influence, which we have to be aware of. And, and I would ask, like, you know, somehow maybe take a little bit of control of, right? So can we do that as, you know, as, as dealers that are selling stuff? Can we take some, you know, control over that influencer sphere? Yeah, you definitely can. I call it the Kim Kardashian effect. Uh, but it's this idea, you know, personal story. I was in Winnipeg, uh, Canada, working with IBM. And uh, one of my colleagues who I was selling PCs, he was selling RS6000s at the time. And uh, his wife made like costume jewelry. And Julia Roberts wore one of her pieces in this People magazine spread. And without saying who the piece was from, they got inundated with, you know, from, with letters to People magazine. So they connected the dots. My colleague actually retired from IBM and worked full-time for his wife to fulfill like a million dollars in orders. So that's the celebrity effect. What we're talking about is similar in terms of how you attribute revenue to that and how you do it, but different in terms of who those people are. I will tell you that if you're a partner out there, you know, Kim Kardashian on Instagram is probably not going to you know, help you sell a lot, but I'll tell you who will. I looked at it from a channel perspective, the overall industry that we're in, and I went and started looking. And when I moved to the United States, I was really interested in super connectors, these people that are highly, highly visible, highly connected. And I built an algorithm to go and figure out who the most important people were that I had to go meet. And the, the way it was, is really simple, is I looked at what people read. And back then, I, I wrote down all the magazines. Today, there's 54 different magazines that the channel reads around the world. I list those on my blog. There's 64 podcasts like this one that are the top podcasts that they listen to around the world. There are 24 associations like CompTIA you've mentioned a couple of times. There are vendor communities. There's distributor communities. There's peer groups. There's 100 LinkedIn groups. There's Facebook groups. Reddit is actually the most important social media for the channel. So I go through all of these different iterations. I go inside every one of those logos. Who's on the front cover of the magazine? Who sits on the board of CompTIA? Who's the keynote speaker at the big events? I wrote down 5,000 names on a spreadsheet and I started scoring every single time they showed up. You know, you got on the front cover of CRN, which is the biggest magazine in the world, eight points. You sit on the board of CompTIA, biggest association in the world, you know, eight points. You did a road show through, uh, you know, Winnipeg, you got two points. So once I scored up every one of the 5,000 people, I then sorted it from top to bottom and I published the top 100 people globally. And actually a Canadian got to number one, which is, which is great. Uh, Rob Ray, um, who works with Datto. Yeah, I know Rob very well. That's yeah, great. So he, he traveled 312 nights last year to be able to do that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, when I boil that into a partner's business and you've got your, um, you've got your business, it's running in Wichita, Kansas. I start looking at your customers and what they read, and where they go, and the people they follow, I can start mapping out the Chamber of Commerce, the meetups, 
I can look at the accountants and the legal and the agencies. I can look at your competitors. I, I can basically in a couple of days present you a list of what they read, where they go, but more importantly, by following those breadcrumbs and scoring it, I can hand you over a list of the top 100 people in Wichita, in the tech space. Every one of those 100 people, unless they're a direct competitor of yours, yeah. maybe 98 of them should be in your ecosystem. So you should ask three questions about that list. Number one, do they know you? It's a big question. Can they pull you out of a lineup? Number two, do they know enough about you to be dangerous? Do they have the 30-second elevator pitch of your skills and your business and what you can deliver in terms of a project, a, you know, a customer's digital transformation? Do they yep. know where you come in? And then number three, probably the most important question, is would they endorse you? So when they're having a, a beer at the Chamber of Commerce mixer, would they mention you in a critical conversation? Would they mention you on their podcast? Would they right. mention you on the evening news, you know, in Wichita? So it's this idea of, you know, you've got these connectors. Do you know who they are? You got to go find out because it's not a hard task to go and find out this sphere of influence and then start asking these hard questions. Like, do I know these people? Do they know me? Do they, would they endorse me? These are how you get into these permutations. This, this is how you get into these non-tech tech buyers and get into some of these projects that might be, you know, transformation projects or, you know, some other types of business level projects that have a lot of tech and IT wrapped around them that you can add a ton of value to. Right. Right. And you didn't have to, by the way, because true. You knew who the businesses were in Wichita of every size. Right. You had a relationship with a key tech buyer. You either won or lost deals. And, you know, it was very linear and it has been for decades. And all I'm saying today is you think more celestial. There's so many stars and moons and everyone and their dog is now a tech person yep. and services company that there's sure. so many things that at foot that um, you got to start looking at it. Out, you know, kind of the telescope when the stars and moon align, how do you take advantage? Cause there's no way to control, you know, outer space. And there's just <laughs> so many moving parts that you don't even want to think about it, but you want to set. And if you can have, you know, each galaxy with a key connector in each one, you know, these are the actions you can take to start to understand where that opportunity is in your neighborhood. So, so one thing I would actually, you know, ask you that if we're looking at an ecosystem style environment, how is that different from the channel and how is the buyer relationship different? Absolutely. And this is what, when I mentioned that 76% earlier, this is the biggest disruptor is that, you know, when you build a forklift as a manufacturer, as, as your business, <clears throat> and you build forklifts now for, you know, 80 years, the second you add an internet of things device sensor on there that sends data to the builder and the construction company and the architect, that forklift company changes forever. So they go and get partnered with Microsoft and AWS and Google and a bunch of others. But other things start changing as well as, that they become, you know, the value they have for clients is, in many cases, the data, the business intelligence, the automation, and they can even start changing the way they charge clients that, um, you know, is more connected to the outcome. So instead of charging you by the day or by the mile or however else I charge you by the, 
the forklift. I'm going to just start charging you for the only thing the forklift does, which is lift stuff. I'm going to charge you by weight. And I'm going to feed you so much information every minute of the day that you're going to make your business better. You're going to make better buildings. You're going to architect better buildings. You're going to manage better buildings. So this entire thing, and for that company in particular, is now part of an ecosystem. And their success in the future relies actually more on the ecosystem to add value to the client than just, again, selling a a forklift in a forklift market. And so, again, I could walk through every industry and every sub-industry, and it's the same for every business. But but I love that example that you just gave there for uh, business outcomes, right? Because we're starting to hear more of that, I think, in the market. Like, people are talking about business outcomes. They're not really giving good concrete examples. And what you just said there was actually perfect, which is don't pay for the forklift, pay for what it delivers and wait. <laughs> so as, as it's moving goods, what did it actually deliver? Pay for that. And I think that's a great example of uh, business outcomes, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, you look at customer success and you look at companies in every industry, the way they're thinking, they're starting to think about these business outcomes. And this is the point of ecosystems. There's almost no company on the planet that can deliver a business outcome without partners, without a bunch of others. And the ecosystem is measured by the value it creates, kind of one plus one equals three. But when you have these overlapping Venn diagram of of partners working together to deliver on that forklift experience and managing the data and managing the business intelligence and the AI and the predictive and the prescriptive. And in the end, you know, you're making everyone around you better. Yes. But that forklift manufacturer is not capable to do that alone. And again, almost every company is in a position where they need to partner in the future to drive more value to clients because if they don't, there'll be a competitor who does. Yeah, it's so true. I just uh, purchased about three months ago, a brand new uh, oven and stove and it's connected. So it's, you know, connected to the web. Um, But it's not doing that by itself. It's actually working through. I've actually got it hooked up through uh, Google Home, right? So Google has a piece of that. And then those sub layers of, I don't know, I don't know how many other, you know, people to make that whole thing possible so that when I'm driving home from work, I can actually send a voice text to my stove uh, to turn up to 425 degrees, right? And there are so many layers in that. Most people don't realize that it's not just the stove manufacturer, but, you know, probably 10 other uh, players that are involved in that ecosystem, which make that a reality. And, you know, and I just kind of wonder, like, how do we, like, how do we get that message across to people that are convinced that the original channel needs to be saved, that the, you know, there's no money to be made unless we, you know, do it the old way. Yeah. So in that example, by the way, I mean, I can go any direction you want to, but you know, now a year from now, you're, you're going to say with the family and Alexa's going to hear you say this, or Google home's going to hear you say this, you know, I want meatloaf on, on Friday. You know, you're going to want that, you know, for example, the grocery shopping service that you have, to deliver the right ingredients. It's then going to send it over to Epicurious, which is the recipe place that you go and get the best meatloaf recipe. And those are going to be talking to each other in the ecosystem to make sure the ingredients come. But then as you're building it and making it, 
it goes in and communicates with the stove itself to preheat to 425. These things are all happening for you. And again, the, the stove and, and, and oven in connected to all these other parts of the ecosystem make your life better, have a better outcome and hopefully make you better meatloaf. So that's part of the thing. And, and if you're running the, the company that bakes stoves, guess who you're partnered with now? Yeah. <laughs> your partnerships just grew by 10x yeah. in the next three to five years. And that's the point of ecosystems. There's going to be non-transacting partners, transacting partners. So yeah, you're going to sell through retailers and you're going to sell maybe online through Amazon. And you know, you're going to sell your stoves in a certain way. That's not the exciting part of the ecosystem. It's the other 80% of influencers and those people long-term who help you get the most out of that stove. Because I think at a certain point, a few years from now, that stove's not going to be $1,000. I think it's exciting. The, the thing that's most exciting to me, though, is it's wraps around ecosystems that it wraps around yeah. partnerships yeah. and basically the ticket to success in the future, which I think the channel's always been kind of that redheaded stepchild. Yeah. Let's go run it over there in a silo and we'll have channel people and we don't really understand what they do, but they do what they do. And it's great where now it's going to be in the boardroom. It's going to be at the C level. It's going to be around the boardroom table and, you know, having good alliance and channel and ecosystem people you know, will not be a nice to have. It'll be a need to have. Now, now one thing I'd like to do, uh, we're kind of running up on our time here uh, now for the uh, podcast, but if you had one piece of advice, and this is such a tough question, but one piece of advice for those that are either in the managed services space or off squidman channels, what would that be looking towards the near future? Yeah, the near future, I, I would say look to the left and look to the right of the, the transaction itself. Managed service providers are doing a good job of long-term, you know, recurring businesses and, and layering these on top of each other, understanding where the opportunities are and, and building out a, you know, a nice suite or, or a nice line card of services for the customer. You know, just recently, for example, security. But in that case, look to the left as well. There's a lot of opportunity in the influence part, that first 68% get obsessed over that. And if you're not in the room during that time, make sure the people that are in the room, like I said, there's an average of five. And this is a virtual room. This is a digital room. But make sure those five players, at least a few of them, are mentioning your name, are getting you into the conversation are building you as a part of the vendor selection and solution process. And then everything good comes downstream. In the cloud, for every dollar that's spent, there's $4.65 of ecosystem revenue or downstream revenue. It has to be implemented and integrated and secured and compliant and continuity and all these other great things. Every one of those conversations, if you can have other people uh, plugging you in, this becomes critical for your short-term and obviously long-term strategy in your business. Well, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this is probably one of my uh, favorite podcasts of the year so far. And uh, we're early into 2020, but I I've just always loved how numbers driven you are, the number of statistics that we get, you know, that it's based on research, uh, et cetera. And I can't recommend enough that if people are looking for, you know, kind of the right advice, uh, the right, um, you know, things to help uh, fill their mindset with uh, directions going forward, 
that Forrester has always been an incredible resource and uh, they're certainly fortunate to have you on board. So uh, thank you very much for this interview. And until next time, thank you for listening to Tiger Paw Radio. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com podcasts. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.